Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. Ace Podcast. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Gunna Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, we're talking a new Star Wars trilogy. How much money it would take to buy Fox Films. Has Call of Duty regained its mojo? And is this the end of the Dark Universe? Before it even starts... All this and more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we are back for another episode of the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. First off, I just want to thank everyone out there that listens to us on the podcast radio network and who is here to break down all the great goings on in the world of pop culture. But my good friend, he is the man, the myth, the legend, the magna cum laude of Mannequin Media, is Josh Peterson. What's up, my friend? What up, man? Hey, so I read this interesting article today that Blade Runner, Alien, and Predator are all in a shared universe. It's interesting. Like I sit there and I think to myself, can you imagine how many hours of film you'd have to sit through to finally connect all those pieces? You have to like go through with a comb and just put everything under a microscope. Like it's crazy, but that's cool. That's they're connected. But now I just wish that they would give the alien franchise, the ending that it deserves and not the fan service that Ridley Scott thinks it seems to want. Well, Ridley Scott was quoted as saying recently that there may not be as much life left in the alien universe to create new iterations. Maybe there is, it just needs maybe maybe some outside hands and maybe an outside pair of eyes to reinvigorate the series. But from Ridley Scott himself, we may be seeing less and less involvement in the alien franchise going forward, but we'll have to wait and see. It's going to be another great show here today on the PCC multiverse. But I did want to ask you one thing. This weekend, Thor goes against the heavy hitters, and I say that quote-unquote, of Murder on the Orient Express and also Daddy's Home 2. So I ask you, can either of those two movies match up against Thor in any way, shape, or form this weekend at the box office? I don't think so. Yeah, because Murder on the Orient Express, while cool, very cool concept, and I I had to read the book in high school. I don't know about you, but it was was all right. Uh, But... You know, there's not enough people. Like, I, you know, it's sad. And I saw the original film, just to give you an idea. Okay, all right. That old. I know we kind of talk about this sometimes, but, like, people's interest in works based on old fiction is just not where it used to be. 
It's just, it's not, people don't really care that much. It's not like an action movie. There's nothing besides like a star-studded cast. Like it'll be something that attracts, you know, an older audience and people who are, you know, hip with the Academy Awards scene. Yeah, but Academy Awards, but this film is getting some mixed reviews and we all know Daddy's Home 2 would probably not even fare well with critics. People are not no, I'm going to see that to be a critical favorite anyways. Right, and it's surprising that they even made a sequel to the first one because from what I understand, the first movie was a train wreck. I think it was just, again, Mark Wahlberg and Will Ferrell. They like to work with each other a lot. Uh, obviously, the other guys, for both of them, one of their more successful movies as well. So I'm just hoping that... Thor will come out on top again because it is a pretty solid film. We, you and I both had strong feelings and strong thoughts about it. In fact, if anyone cares to know what Josh feels like, check out his thoughts in his review, which you can catch on YouTube, or as well, both of our thoughts on our previous Pop Culture Cosmos episode number 62 as well. So we've got that out there for you. We think Thor is going to, even with a 50% drop, still have a comfortable, comfortable win this weekend at the box office but again we've got a lot lined up for today but let's get started with some breaking news that hit the newswire almost close to showtime here when it was announced by star wars uh, star wars blog and all that that rian johnson who is directing the current iteration of star wars the last jedi is going to be responsible for helming whether that's through directing, producing, but he's going to take responsibility on a new Star Wars trilogy. So I ask you, Josh, Kathleen Kennedy, the head of Lucasfilm, actually said in recent interviews as well that she'd like to see a great direction go with Ray and Finn and Poe and all those characters for at least the next 10 years or so, which is great. But now they're talking about this new Star Wars trilogy which would focus on something entirely out of the Skywalker realm. So I ask you, is this going to be a little bit confusing for people out there to follow? Or, or how do you think this is all going to lay out based off of what both was announced today and what Kathleen Kennedy has said in recent interviews? You have to look at it in terms of release schedule. Like, what are, what are we talking about here? Is Star Wars going to be given a two-a-year release? Because... How is this going to coexist with what's already slated to come out? Because I know they're talking about making more movies about the characters that we're seeing now past episode nine. And they also have a bunch of, uh, star, what are we calling them, Star Wars stories slated to be released intermittently in the following years. So this is going to mean that they're either going to you know, up their production to two Star Wars movies a year or we're going to have, the, you know, they're going to stop with the side stories and we're going to have two trilogies existing side by side with each other. But that also raises a question because I know that they're not going to have anything to do with the characters we're seeing right now. It's going to be new characters, a new place in the galaxy. How are they going to tie into each other? What's the timeline? Is it a prequel? Is it a sequel? Are we finally going to get, you know, the Knights of the Old Republic or Origins of the Jedi or whatever it is? How is it all connected? And how is how are we going to see two different Star Wars sagas coexist with each other. Well, the only thing that has been confirmed in with from recent past outside of the Solo movie coming up is a Kenobi movie. The proposed Boba Fett, the proposed other stories within that they've talked about, those have not been actually confirmed in production to the best of my knowledge, but the Kenobi film actually, I think, was a go, if, not, if I'm not mistaken. 
No, it was officially announced, but I know they have like there's other projects in the pipeline they've been rumoring for a while, you know, like the Boba, Boba Fett, Yoda, whatever, like other stuff that me personally, I'm not interested in watching. But yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting because I think the only way they could have these Star Wars exist side by side without fans clamoring for the two, you know, the the leads in each thing to team up with each other is to have them take place on two completely separate sides of a timeline. That I agree with you on, because it would get totally confusing if you're going to have this timeline and in the same realm, but maybe on the other side of the galaxy, have something coexisting. But they have said in the statement that it's going to be something separate and completely different from what we're seeing with the Skywalker saga. So I believe you're right. It's going to be a separate time frame in and of itself that we'll have to come to know, we'll have to come to understand and well the big thing it tells me is obviously that lucasfilm is pleased with rian johnson's work so much that they're going to at this point in time give him the ball and to run with it similar to what way back when george lucas was with his own star wars trilogy that he got to oversee that they're going to allow rian johnson to do the same thing with a completely new trilogy set in a completely different realm of the star wars universe so that's definitely what i get out of it is that they have so much confidence in him and that they like what they see with the last jedi so much that tells me that they like his direction going forward because he's he's done a good job and i just hope that he doesn't try to make something that's too big for the scope of I know the, the universe is a big place, but I just hope that he makes something in size and scope that is not that doesn't overshadow what's being done on the main timeline. And if I really hope it doesn't exist on the main timeline, mostly because of what we talked about just now, but also because it's not going to make sense to have two evil forces trying to destroy the same thing. You know, it's uh, that whole thing with what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object, things stop making sense. Well, the best thing about Star Wars is not obviously the special effects, not the glitz and the glamour and the and the space battles and all the excitement and whatnot. Those are outstanding parts of the Star Wars universe, but the best part of the Star Wars universe itself is the characters, how we've come to know them, how best they interact with each other, and how best do they tell the story, because the story that gets communicated, the overall themes and the values are best translated through the Star Wars characters we've come to know and love. And to create that again in a separate trilogy, in a separate timeline, in a separate realm, is going to be a very difficult task to do as well as what was previously done, at least in the original trilogy. We won't talk about the prequels, but that's that's beside the point. But I will tell you the original trilogy built its characters so well and from that the story building and the foundation was there to create these awesome awesome and unique stories that have touched our lives for so many years and i'm hoping that rian johnson's opportunity with this new star wars realm will do the same thing if they were smart they would give us what everybody's been clamoring for the origin of the jedi that's all i can say it's just it let's hope it's the origin of the Jedi because that would be not only a huge cash cow, but it would be every fanboy's dream to see that come to life. They started to touch on it in the books before they became non-canon. So if they could go back and revisit that story, that'd be fantastic. 
Well, they've also hinted as well, there's been rumors that Lucasfilm and also Marvel, they're going to be creating new content for the Star Wars Disney streaming service, which seems like a no-brainer to both you and I and everybody else out there. That's probably not much of a rumor. It's probably going to be a fact to obviously induce more subscriptions and more interest in the Disney streaming service once it becomes live. Maybe if it's not represented in this new trilogy that Rian Johnson's working on, maybe the origin or the birth of the Jedi could be explained in something of that fashion. Yeah, it could, but again, that explores the question that Marvel is now facing with all these television shows that aren't doing so well and all these spinoffs and whatnot. How much Star Wars is too much Star Wars? So if they make these shows, I don't want to see like 22 episode seasons because that's a lot of TV to sit there and watch. And I hardly have time to go to the movies and see, you know, the regular Star Wars entries as it is. So, you know, if they're going to do this, they need to do like maybe release one or two series a year and then make them 12 episodes like they like Marvel does with their Netflix series. That way it's you can binge it and then you just move on to whatever else you're doing after that. So we are reaching a point like if Walking Dead has shown us anything, it's that like fan people get over stuff. So I just hope that they don't do that with Star Wars. What are your thoughts on this new Star Wars universe being constructed by Last Jedi director Rian Johnson? We want to hear your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, Humanican Media, Game Source, and also PopCultureCosmos on Facebook and Twitter as well. So we got a great episode for you today. We've got Rob McCallum standing by. He's going to be talking. Well, he's going to be talking some about some Disney and also iTunes upcoming in the Cosmic Crossfire. Also as well, we've got Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater podcast. He's going to preview week 10 in the NFL. And we've got a lot more to talk about when it comes to Call of Duty and also talking about Universal's Dark Universe. Has it gone dark? We'll talk about that and a whole lot more on this episode. But first, we've got our good friend, Plasma Z. And this is Supernova, and this is the PCC Multiverse.
Thanks for checking out the PCC, you know, the pop culture cosmos. We'll be back in one moment. Ever wonder what happened to the actor from the 80s movie that you love? What about the director of the 70s splatter film that turned your stomach? Or how about the model that starred in your favorite MTV video? I'd like to invite you to join me, Sean Riley, the host of Second Act's podcast, on the first of each month as we check in with some of the most memorable faces you've forgotten to see what's going on in the Second Acts of their lives. You can check out Second Acts podcast on your favorite podcast app as well as on YouTube. Also, be sure to check out our Facebook page for bonus content as well as ways to interact with the show. As Scott Fitzgerald once wrote, there are no Second Acts in American lives, but there are on Second Acts podcast. Here's to your Second Act. And we're back with another edition of the Cosmic Crossfire. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you listening to the broadcast here today. <laughs> He's always giving me that sly look when I uh, say it like that. But as always, part of the Cosmic Crossfire, it's my good friend. He is the man, the myth, the legend behind RobMcCallumFilms.com. He's got a whole bevy of projects that he's either doing about to do or has done a great job on and you got to check out robmccallumfilms.com for all the updates on that it's rob mccallum what's going on my friend it's me i'm back in the great white north after a trip to the uh seasonable comfort climates of las vegas where we had uh, a quick encounter indeed indeed and we just couldn't line anything up it's just too much to do too much to do in order to go ahead and try and do one live and in person but maybe next time perhaps but hey this is the next best thing more importantly did the garage door ever get fixed did that spring ever get ordered for your house yeah it finally did yeah i got repaired (laughs) Uh, this is it got taken care of and it works like gold now i like it i'll take it yes yes I don't want to badmouth anybody or any company like that on the air. I don't think it's it's not it's beneath me to do so. But <laughs> wait till they're in person. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. But we've got a great show scheduled for you today on the Cosmic Crossfire. A lot of great things that are going on in the wonderful realm of pop culture. So tell me, Rob, what's going on in that wonderful realm of pop culture? I want you to pick one of the two sides I'm about to say in terms of what is the craziest thing that you have heard this week in terms of finance. Okay. These are, these are two kind of financial driven statements that have come out headlines that are going to definitely reshape the pop culture world. And I'm just curious to see what, which side you think is, is bigger or, or crazier. Okay. First, iTunes has announced that the revenue from last year alone is $8.5 billion. iTunes, that does include their music subscription. $8.5 billion, okay? So that's option A. Option B, Disney to buy most of Fox. Now, because there's regulatory concerns, they won't actually be able to buy... The Fox Broadcasting Company or FX. No, the sport. No, FX would be a part of it. 
It'd be uh, Fox okay. Broadcasting, Fox Sports, Fox News, and there's another one that's the lower tier. So they yes. would get FX. They would get um, National Geographic. But they wouldn't get Fox Sports because they want to keep that sports and news realm. Uh, right. Well, they can't because they own ABC. Yeah. It's in, a, in ESPN. So it's a, it, they're, they're not allowed under federal guidelines. Yeah. But they also had said specifically that they don't want to sell them off because that's the most profitable parts of their company. Sure. But that still leaves their entire film library, which, of course, includes Star Wars A New Hope. The only Star Wars film to be to have distribution rights with Fox, even though there's contingencies made for releases via Disney now. It obviously has X-Men as part of the Fox library that could now exist in the Marvel Universe and Fantastic Four, my goodness. It's lots to think there. And you know, you look at Aliens as well. James Cameron is already, you know, in the Disney fold with the Avatar stuff. Avatar is a Fox property. Lots of stuff there, but then I then I look in the other option that I gave you, $8.5 billion in revenue, more than all the Hollywood studios combined. So that's more than what the price was for both Marvel and Disney, because they were $4 billion each. Yeah, there's a lot. And that's just one year's revenue. That's not like a purchase of something. That's not an acquisition. They're printing money. And when people hear that Apple's thinking about getting into television and film productions i mean they've got the resources and they they have the pipeline it just blows my mind to think that that's as well as they're doing and i see the potential for basically like another netflix kind of paradigm shift where here comes this other major player they have a ton of resources they are going to be a known entity and make a massive dent bigger than all these other no offense, CBS or Paramount or Disney even, streaming opportunities. You know, Apple could change the way that entertainment is consumed. Couldn't agree with you more on that, but they... Can you imagine an iTunes subscription? Just think about that. Yeah, I just saw your head explode. For everybody out there that can't see the video feed, I'm telling you right now, Gerald's head just popped all over the world. It is something that's amazing that when you think about it, what they could do as far as with the entertainment realm, you see that they're generating obviously eight and a half billion dollars is definitely a lot of money that's being generated from iTunes specifically. But the dollar and asking price, because you didn't mention the numbers that were being thrown around, because that's still very much speculated on what the possible numbers could be for Fox. I feel that there's a lot of properties that should be of great interest, like you had mentioned, to Disney. I think that there should be a lot of things that they obviously could make a lot of money on and get paid back. Obviously, the Marvel deal has, has done really, really well for them. The Star Wars purchase has really done also as well. They both have made more than their share of the money back that the cost to pay for. So if it takes, what do you think an asking price should be on it? Six, eight, ten billion dollars? It's got to be more than Star Wars somehow. Star Wars would be like the most valuable franchise in the world, bar none. So I'm trying to think of like what you put on like an entire library. It's got to be close to, to 10 or 15 billion. Like it has to be. You know, that entire catalog that they, they can use then to populate their streaming service with as well. I think it's how much you value the upcoming Avatar franchise movies. I think it's 
how you perceive i think that's a key selling point right there is okay we've got these movies in the pipeline that the previous one has already generated more money than any other film we have talked about the cultural footprint not being there for avatar but even if that's the case avatar 2 still you could pretty much count on over a billion dollars from an audience that is somewhat familiar with this movie so, I don't know. I think a billion's pretty high. I don't. I think the Avatar 2, $2.8 billion is nothing to sneeze at from what the original Avatar made. I think it, even half that, I think it, you, you've got to consider that it will do at least half the I don't. The I think movie. that's optimistic. I think maybe it's naive of me, but $2.8 billion was lucky and like a, like a perfect storm scenario that got it to that point, especially with IMAX and 3D technology. I just don't see them approaching a billion dollars again. To be honest, it feels like it can only fail. I don't see how this is going to be a successful franchise. Well, one thing I think you're not considering is the international box office end of it. I think this That's what I'm score. counting on, like to see that number. And I don't, I, I think domestically you're going to see 250 million tops and you would be lucky internationally outside of North America to see 750 million even with China I think this film will go over a billion I'm not a fan of the series but I still think that just by the sheer name value of it all that Ugh. it will still Ugh. go over a billion dollars it's first time out now avatar three four five that's up for debate I I, I and, and, I, and I also think like okay, so even if it does a billion dollars, what is the marketing spend that Disney is going to put on that, or Fox, I guess at this point, going to put on that, in order to get that brand awareness resuscitated? It's not going to be a billion dollars in profit. We know each of these films are going to cost five hundred million dollars. The franchise tag cost two point five billion dollars without any marketing. You know, and usually the rule is whatever your production budget is, that's what you have to spend in marketing as well. Bond is a perfect example. You you make the film for three hundred million dollars. You usually spend close to three hundred million to market it, so that you can get to the seven hundred, eight hundred million dollar thing and make you know hundred million dollars. I'm not disagreeing with you on the amount that you spend because it's the old adage: three to three and a half times whatever the production budget is before you tr actually see a true profit. But I will say that at least the first time out, I think it's a safe bet for a billion dollars plus at the box office worldwide. Well, we'll have to wait a little while longer before we we see that and and to see what is crazier between iTunes' $8.5 billion revenue in the last year or if Disney actually ends up acquiring most of 21st Century Fox Corporation. I certainly uh, hope so for fans of Marvel that they can get the X-Friend franchise. I'd love to see... Hugh Jackman changed his mind and come up there, claws ablazing right in the middle of the, the Infinity War. That'll do it for another uh, episode of Cosmic Crossfire here. Uh, we've got some good chats there about iTunes has a crazy revenue and Disney might buy Fox. Weigh in with your thoughts. Gerald, where can they uh, reach out to us and let us know what they think? Let's try this first at Pop Culture Cosmo on Twitter, also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Source, and Humanican Media on Facebook as well. I like it. All right. And don't forget to drop us a review if you're listening on iTunes. Those reviews help us with our reach, help us with our placement. And you know what? They make us all feel fuzzy and warm inside. Uh, that they do. We truly appreciate it. We've gotten several five-star reviews on iTunes and Apple Podcasts recently, and we're 
most appreciative of it. Gotten a lot of good words on social media about how well our show is doing. And, and we just cannot thank everyone enough for those kind words and comments. It certainly is inspiring. Thanks so much, Rob, again, as always, for being part of the Pop Culture Cosmos and for another edition of the Cosmic Crossfire. Rob McCallum Films is back in 2017 with a vengeance. This year, we're set to release Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull drops this year and is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. And we're back with the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. Thank you for checking in and listening to us on a weekly basis. We truly appreciate it. Whether you're listening to us at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network or on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, the Ace Podcast Network, Overcast, Player.fm, Google Play, Stitcher, Podcast.com, Mixcloud, the ESO Network, the Tangibound Network, Gunna Geek Network, Cast Crunch, and popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. No matter how you get our show, we just truly appreciate you listening. Or also as well, the number one show on the Podcast Radio Network, the Pop Culture Cosmos Show, every Monday night, 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific as well. And if you download and stream our shows, we always throw in some bonus content just for listening. Josh has also got a great channel of his own. He does a lot of great work there. It's called Humanica Media. So Josh, what's going on with your awesome network known as Humanica Media? New Super BS episode on, it just came out today. Yeah, it's out today. But yeah, and you can also check out everything on the Attack of the Humanicans every Tuesday on the podcast radio network. That's right. It's 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. So you catch it every Tuesday, Attack of the Humanicans, right on the podcast radio network, indeed. So Call of Duty World War II has hit retail shelves. It's now ready to be downloaded at your convenience on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. So I ask you, Josh, it's out. It's garnering pretty strong reviews. And also, Activision has reported it has doubled physical retail sales in the same amount of time as last year's version, which was Infinite Warfare. So I ask you, Josh, has Call of Duty regained its mojo as one of the top and premier games in the AAA video game market? I'll get it eventually if it's on sale or something. I'm not going to rush out to play it. But yeah, good for them. I hope that it brings back more of that era in video games. So I think that's what got us all interested in that type of like army game battlefield Call of Duty. That was that was a time back when it was truly a game that catered to gamers, not to game sales. So it was a different landscape back then. But I, it's cool to see that people are coming back out to play it. We'll just see if it holds up over everything else that's coming out over the course of the holidays. I can tell you right now, it, it is, like I said, doing leaps and bounds what above last year's iteration is doing. I think people are excited to go back into those realms. And that reminds us of last year when EA's Battlefield 1 went to, back to World War One. And people were just jumping all over that as well because sales were much higher than the previous Battlefield iteration. So it tells me that people are excited to go backwards in time as opposed to going into modern and futuristic warfare. 
Although, it, yes, it does remind me of the time when Call of Duty 2, Call of Duty 3 came out, and I actually had great experiences with both those games. I think the campaigns were really solid on them, and I really liked the war mode on Call of Duty 3. They brought back a war mode for Call of Duty World War 2, so I'm glad to see that happening, although there's variations from what the, the original Call of Duty 3 had in mind with war uh, mode with the war mode, but still, it's uh, it's nice to see that Call of Duty is now a premium option once again in the video game world. Definitely, the zombies I think are still a big hit as far as that realm. And from what I'm seeing, the campaign is a really really solid campaign as well. Although still, six hours to me is just that's just too short in my estimate. I, I guess they're just using it as a buffer or people's attention spans for Call of Duty players or, or what have you. I, I don't know. I, I personally think that a lot of players that play Call of Duty wouldn't mind a longer campaign and more detailed campaign. Hopefully we'll get that from Star Wars Battlefront 2 and other games of that ilk going forward in the future that they'll put more time in, and invest more time into it instead of just playing through it. It's done. And going straight to the multiplayer because there is more to call of duty than just the multiplayer aspects in fact call of duty 4 modern warfare for me was one of the best campaigns i've ever played through yeah i remember that being very intense because it's it right around that time when you know you had terror attacks were basically like they were all over the place it's something you're seeing in the news every day and so you finally got to be somebody who was on the ground in that area and just taking care of business and it was made more intense by how realistic a lot of that stuff was like the thing with the uh you know when you're the dude in the airport like that was uh that was oh that was that was the advanced that was modern warfare 2. oh yeah but i mean even still this was the, like uh, the most famous uh a segment of that was the ghillie suit yes that's right and you're in chernobyl yes i remember that yeah that was just a very uh very intense game loved it but yeah, like it, that's cool. Like it, you know, you look back. It's it's kind of like when we look at movies that we liked as kids, and we're like, I wonder what they could do with that now. We're kind of seeing that happen in gaming, where you're seeing like, you know, that was cool way back in the day. I wonder if they were to revisit something like that, what would it look like? And from what I can tell, it looks pretty cool so far. So, you know, we'll have to wait and see. You know, if the if it, the sales stay strong and the reviews stay positive, but you know, I I think. You know, I think things are looking good. I, I hope that maybe they learn their lesson from the past, like a lot of stuff like Ghosts and Infinity Warfare or whatever it is. Like they're just things that there are money grabs more than more than anything. And you know, you're talking about EA giving more like Star Wars single players. I, I don't think that's gonna happen, man. EA seems to hate single player games, so who knows what's gonna happen in the future? I think they're moving more towards anything that they can make money off of with microtransactions, but. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll see. As for Call of Duty, I you know that's cool. I hope it. I hope that it does because I'm seeing that like it's Activision and Blizzard now, and I'm seeing that I'm starting to feel like after BlizzCon, you know, we're we're starting to get to a point where Warcraft fans are going to are starting to want something new, and they're not really getting something new. So Call of Duty might be their flagship. Both EA and, and Activision are both centered on trying to obviously garner the most profit that they can. But it's nice to see Call of Duty regain some of its mojo and become a power player once again because we've thought and speculated for a while now exactly where Call of Duty was standing in the eyes of gamers as someone that 
as a fading star, you know, that, that it looked like it was going to just keep on fading and, and there would be no return in sight to its glory days. But this is a step in the right direction. It has doubled the last year's iteration of Call of Duty. So definitely uh, for Call of Duty fans out there, it's a great sign that good times are once again headed for them indeed. What are your thoughts on Call of Duty World War II? Is it great to see it back gaining momentum as a big player in the world of video games once again? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, humanity media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. back with the show this is the pcc multiverse my name is gerald glassford from pop culture cosmos and game source we truly appreciate it we hope everyone out there is having a safe and enjoyable veterans day weekend and i just wanted to before we we go on with tyler baker here who's waiting anxiously to get us all the news and updates on on how he's going to preview week 10 in the nfl i just wanted to pay our respects to those veterans out there who have served our country our props to them and hope that everybody remembers and and also appreciates uh, veterans this veterans day weekend and also if they see a veteran out there that they truly pay them the respect that they that they truly deserve it's week 10 in the nfl another action-packed weekend is coming up and who better to break it down with me than the man the myth the legend he is well i said it with josh i gotta say it with him the magnum cum laude of <laughs> fantasy football it's tyler baker from the fantasy football pay dirt podcast what's going on my friend that is very high praise and i appreciate that cheers my well it, it's well deserved well deserved as long as i'm winning when we're losing <laughs> sure, i'm not gonna say sure sure well i must say that one of the major influences in the fantasy football pay dirt podcast is my very good friend jared warner a veteran, one of many of very, very dear friends of mine that have sacrificed so much for our country and gave a piece of their lives and service for this country. And you just, you just cannot say enough good things about someone that would do something. It's awesome. Happy Veterans Day. Absolutely to all of our veterans indeed. But it is going to be a great week 10 in the NFL. So Tyler, well, it's not going to be a great week 10 for in the NFL for the Dallas Cowboys because oh, someone God. didn't win enough court cases. Their it's luck has finally run out. It is lawyer ping pong. And my understanding from what the judges said in this last iteration of it is, yeah, we're not going to rush this through because it's football. <laughs> and they were pretty much like, we're going to sit and we're going to make a decision. Well, by the time something comes out about the appeal, the sentence would have already been served. So it looks like he's going to serve six games. And this looks like the final answer 
uh, in this, but I mean, who knows? It seems like every week we keep going back and forth, but for right now, it looks like he is going to serve six games and that's about 70%, I would say. That is Ezekiel Elliott running back of the Dallas Cowboys, and he will be out for the rest of the regular season. Mm -hmm. He'll be back for the playoffs if the Dallas Cowboys make the playoffs, but that doesn't help fantasy football teams at all. So I ask you, if anybody out there has Ezekiel Elliott on their team, should they ditch him right away and pick up somebody else? And who should they look for if that's the case? I would say, yeah, ditch him. This, this last court ruling looks pretty definitive. If I had him, which I don't, if I did, I would probably drop him. And it looks like they're going to start Alfred Morris. And it looks like is, there's going to be a hot hand approach. All three of those guys have been, are going to be active. We're talking about Darren McFadden and Rod Smith. Those guys are going to be a part of a running back by committee. It is going to be a hot hand approach. I think more specifically, it's going to be a game plan approach. Like, how do they want to attack defenses? Are what are they going to? How are they going to deal with the linebackers? And then you have a guy like Alfred Morris, who's a one cut runner, and you give him one cut in a lane, he he will take it. Whereas Darren McFadden is more of kind of a move, kind of shifty type player. And then the third running back, we haven't seen a lot from, and he's a big guy. He is athletic, but how evolved is he to the NFL game? We don't know yet, but we also haven't seen Darren McFadden either in quite a long time. So it looks like Alfred Morris, but game to game, game plan to game plan that could change. And Darren McFadden is a former thousand yard rusher in the league. Oh, so yeah. that's kind of surprising that he's not gotten a chance to run the balls because he did fairly well in a part-time role last year. And he does get a high yards per carry as compared to other running backs, although he does get injured quite a bit from my recollection. So he does. And that could be the reason why he's been inactive because they haven't needed him. And I think that Darren McFadden does what Ezekiel Elliott does better than Alfred Morris does. By that, I mean, he's just a better fit for a scheme that likes what Ezekiel Elliott brings to the table. Darren McFadden had really good success with the Cowboys before Ezekiel Elliott was drafted. Since he's been drafted, Darren McFadden, we just haven't seen him. But that could be that the team knew that they were going to need him down the stretch. And maybe that's why he hasn't been inactive all year. We'll see. But we haven't seen him on the field yet. So that's why it's so difficult to say, hey, go after Darren McFadden. Personally, I've gone after Darren McFadden. But there's not enough there on film recently to say he still got it so that's why i'm not really encouraging other people to go get Darren mcfadden if that makes sense to you <laughs> it does it does especially if you don't have a lot of space in your it's roster for example yeah it's a risk absolutely but to me there's also one other major story that's poking out for this weekend and that's the fact that pretty much everybody's favorite offensive team right now in fantasy football has got a buy Mm -hmm. So with so many players that are so vital to fantasy football teams emanating from the Philadelphia Eagles, mm -hmm. Carson Wentz, yeah. Nelson Aguilar, Zach Ertz, Zach Ertz, Alshon Jeffrey. <laughs> Alshon Jeffrey. Hey, that's yeah. pretty much three of four for my team right there. Yeah. Eagles what do you sense? Yeah. So what do you say to people as far as alternatives that they can mm -hmm. pick up or have to go to in case this happens like for instance myself that has virtually three of their four or five top players mm -hmm. going out at the same time on a buy 
I'm in a similar situation. I have a lot of the Chiefs are on by this week too. So I have a lot of Kareem Hunt. I have a lot of Tyree Kill. I have a lot of Zach Ertz. I actually have a league where I have Zach Ertz and Travis Kelsey on a buy. And this entire season, I was trying to pull a trade off, but they weren't giving me enough value for him. So now I'm looking for a tight end. Charles Clay looks like he's going to play this week. Charles Clay hasn't played in three, four weeks with the Buffalo Bills. He steps back into that role. I think he's going to get a lot of targets. If you're looking for a receiver, Des Bryant has not practiced this week. He is going to play, but I think Terrence Williams is a sneaky play this week. That's a guy who's looked good when they've thrown the ball to him so far this year. He's been with that team forever. He knows the offense. They trust him. If this is a game where Des Bryant is not going to be very productive, I think all of those targets go to Terrence Williams. So there's a receiver that you might be able to pick up. Also, Danny Amendola. So Chris Hogan is going to be out this week for the New England Patriots. They're coming off of a bye. Amendola has had time to heal up, and they're going against the Broncos. The Broncos defend the perimeter of the field really, really well, but the middle can be a little soft, and that's where Danny Amendola excels. So if Danny Amendola is on your waiver wire, he might be a receiver that you're going to want to pick up. Also, T.Y. Hilton was added late to the injury report this week. We'll see what happens on Friday, but if he can't go, maybe there's a receiver there in Indianapolis you can pick up. Also, uh, Zay Jones doesn't look like he's going to play. So there might be some guys out there later in the week that we can identify, but that's going to be according to the practice reports that come out on Friday. And that's why they need to listen to your show, the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast on Saturday when it drops. That's going to be available on Apple Podcasts, Libsyn, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Player.fm, and SoundCloud. And before we go on, I'm just going to say this. With T.Y. Hilton, he may be injured because he had to run all those yards for those two (laughs) touchdowns last week. So maybe that's why. He just maybe pulled a hammy or something. I know. And, man, when he has a big game, he has a big game. (laughs) He did indeed. But there's going to be another few players out there that are going to also have their good games indeed this weekend. Who do you think people should be targeting? And are there any matchups, either team-wise or player-wise, that you're looking forward to seeing and obviously examining as a possible start, trade, or waiver wire pickup this week in the NFL? So this week we have a... NFC North matchup between the Green Bay Packers and Chicago Bears. This is a must-win matchup for both of these teams. Of course, the Packers don't have Aaron Rodgers. And this could be the time where they let Brent Hundley air the ball out, try to get the ball downfield. In his first appearance in green as a starter for Green Bay, he did not look good doing that. He's had a couple of weeks. If they're going to let him throw the ball downfield, it's going to be this week. That could be a resurgence for the Green Bay offense. The Dallas Cowboys and Atlanta Falcons will face off this week. This could be a very good matchup for Matt Ryan. Dallas's secondary is not very good, and this could be the game that he puts things together and they start looking like the team that went to the Super Bowl last year. And at 4-4, four and four, they need to win. They need to make their presence known in the NFC South. And I expect that the Atlanta Falcons are going to put a lot into the game plan this week against the Dallas Cowboys. Once again, this is Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast. If you have a question on your team, your lineup, should you do a trade for this person? Should you do a waiver wire pickup for this person? Should I let this person go? What lineup should I have? If you've got those type of questions for your fantasy football team, 
there is no better place to go than go to Facebook and try this group, Fantasy Football Paydirt Podcast. They're an awesome group on Facebook. They'll give you the advice you need that will, smart advice that will hopefully guide your team going to the playoffs and going in in style because we're getting close to playoff time. It's right around the corner. You got to make those subtle moves and subtle changes that, that could get you the edge this coming postseason in your fantasy league. And there's no better place to go than Fantasy Football Pater Podcast Facebook group, ffpater.com. And of course, you got to listen to the Tuesday and Saturday episodes of the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast, which again is available on Apple Podcasts, Libsyn, Overcast, Player.fm, and SoundCloud. Tyler, it's been great having you on today's episode of the PCC Multiverse. I look forward to us talking on the Pop Culture Cosmos about all the great happenings that went on in Week 10 in the NFL. Thank you so much for having me. I love doing a spot on your show. And thank you to all the veterans listening. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more on that. Thank you so much again to all the veterans out there. We truly hope everyone out there has a safe and wonderful Veterans Day weekend right here from the PCC Multiverse. Hey, it's Rick and Sherry from the Life in a Kilt podcast. If you are a kilt wearer, a kilt lover, or simply like to gawk, come hang out with us every week on Life in a Kilt podcast. We discuss kilt life, regular life, and everything in between and underneath. We've got humor, interviews, sketch comedy, pop culture, beer reviews, even indie music. And we discuss it each week in a way that only we can. Well, only the way I can. Oh, hush. I discuss it so much better than Whatever. you. Whatever. Anyway, discover the joys of kilt life without ever leaving the comfort of your own headphones. Kilts aren't required. But if you've got one, feel free to buckle up. That's the Life in a Kilt podcast with Rick and Sherry every week on the ESO Network. For the latest reviews and opinions on everything pop culture, head on over to our brand new site, www.popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. I would say Rogue One has a more worn feel. And I love it for that because it looks a lot like New Hope where everything isn't shiny and plastic like the Star Trek films. We always talk about timelines and the franchises that we love. And now it's kind of like, okay, now we're going to do a Han story. Now we're going to do Obi-Wan story. People do still like to go into movies and watch things that are different, watch things that are not related to superhero franchises. With him, you might get the Russell Westbrook thing. Kevin Durant leave, and he goes, I'm not going anywhere. This is my team. I'm lead up it for the long haul. If you're into, like, very strategic-style games and the co-op games in general, it's a highly recommended game overall. And it's a sense of depth and personality that would escalate fighting games to a higher degree. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show. And the PCC Multiverse. Every week on the Podcast Radio Network and Apple Podcasts. And over a dozen of your favorite streaming and podcasting options. And we're back to close out the show. This is the PCC Multiverse. My name is Daryl Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. Josh, I know you heard the news. Universal's Dark Universe, which we've spoken about on these shows previously, being something that Universal had hoped, maybe still hopes, that they could center an entire universe around movies that would center around for instance the mummy bride of frankenstein creature from the black lagoon dracula all those horror 
movie icons from the past that they could revive all of them and have them interact with each other in a universe type format. Well, lo and behold, we got some interesting news this week because obviously this summer there was a big time bust in the mummy movie starring Tom Cruise that really did poorly at the box office and was a great disappointment. So seeing how that worked out, it looks like, well, the people behind this universe, writer producers, Alex Kurtman and Chris Morgan looks like they are, well, actually they, they checked out. They uh, have left universal pictures and left the dark universe scene. So it looks like right now from a standpoint of, well, it looks like right now for universal that the dark universe is going to be looking dark for at least the interim. So I ask you, is this a good move for universal? Is this the best thing possible for universal after the, well, I should say critical and financial demise of the mummy film? It was a bad idea to begin with, and it was a bad idea that, I mean, I personally, I don't know about you, I was hoping it was a bad idea that turned into a good idea, but then we saw that it wasn't handled the way, like, universe building is very tough. Like, Marvel, it makes more sense in Marvel and DC, but, like, you know, you try to take something like, uh, you know, like monster films, and they don't intertwine with each other. They they exist in the same genre and you know there are movies that like uh you know monster squad and van helsing like maybe he is someone that can tie all these things together castlevania did it okay but well, i think they mentioned it in mummy uh, if i remember correctly that that van helsing i think was going to tie be the one of the ties along with russell crowe's dr jekyll and mr hyde character would be someone that would tie in a lot of the stuff together yeah but knowing that wouldn't have made more sense to launch with a van helsing movie I, I don't understand because the mummy was it, it's not a movie that's meant to to exist inside that universe and especially if you're using the mummy as a launching pad like it it's already a twist to connect it but then you you want to use it as like the the Iron Man of the dark universe it's just it doesn't make sense because none of those twines were meant to go together and just it it, it was you know going from Egypt to London like it was just is a huge a huge leap and a very like even to people with big imaginations like that was tough to handle i agree with you on that well i reviewed the mummy and it wasn't a very good movie i i was kind of disappointed by it it wasn't a very good viewing experience and i thought it was just not the best work of tom cruise when i watched it and i just did not see it being the successful thing that in universal had envisioned when they started out this process the only saving grace for me was the interaction between tom cruise and russell crowe's dr jekyll mr hyde character i liked that interaction and i wanted to see more of that going forward but it looks like i don't I, it's not totally out of the realm but at this point in time, it looks like it's going to be on hiatus for quite some time, if not for good. And it looks like when your two main people behind it are they're hitting the road, then it looks like it's uh, going to be getting very dark. Or as they say in the Marvel Universe, the sun's getting real low right there for you. And it is getting dark in the dark universe indeed. What are your thoughts on the dark universe becoming dark, going dark? Are you happy that this parade of 
monster movie icons from the past are not going to come to fruition as at least it looks like it at this point in time. Are you happy that it's not going to come to fruition at this point in time, or at least in the near future? Are you glad that Universal is not going to try and connect the dots between all those monster movie icons? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. Josh, before we head on out, any last words on what's going on in your realm of pop culture? What are you going to be checking out this weekend when it comes to pop culture? And also, so what are you looking forward to for the rest of this month? I'm going to be finishing Super Mario Odyssey. I'm definitely, uh, you know, I think Assassin's Creed is going to be the next game I'm getting into. But, you know, I'm going to try to have a review up of a little game called N++ by the end of the weekend. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to Justice League. I know we're going to talk about that next week. But... You know, as for pop culture, there's not really much in the movies I'm interested in seeing this week. But, you know, it's it's gaming seasons shaping, shaping up to look real good. So I know Quake and Elder Scrolls are coming out. So, you know, my Switch is definitely going to be busy. Well, there's some great things coming down the pike later this month. Uh, like you said, Justice League is coming out next week. And I know we're going to talk about that. Plus, also as well, we're going to try and do what we can to provide you some great deals and great ideas going forward, not only for holiday gifts, but also as well for the upcoming Black Friday and also as well Cyber Monday shopping season. So we're going to try and see what we can to get you those those great ideas going forward so you can so you can go ahead and plan out your, your shopping list, so to speak, on what you want to get as gifts or for yourself as well, consumer electronics, pop culture items and and things that'll suit your fancy we're going to try and throw out some suggestions i also want to let everybody know on our site popculturecosmos.wordpress.com i just posted a review of the soft tones pillow speaker tell you what if you're the type of person that needs music or listen to a great show audiobook or a podcast like ones we know from humanica media and pop culture cosmos you like to listen to those help you relax put you in that zen state of mind you want to give the soft tones pillow speaker a try i gave it a review you can catch it on the popculturecosmos.wordpress.com yeah i have some pretty good words to say about it but you'll you can read more about that and and check it out and see if it's something for you plus also it might sneak in on one of our holiday gift guides coming up as well so for josh peterson this is gerald glassford it's another beautiful day right here in the p c C multiverse. We thank you for listening, and here's hoping you have yourself a great day. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at ESONetwork.com. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Everyone, welcome to the very first episode of Guardians of the Geek. I'm Keith. I'm Cameron. 
And I'm Brandon. Um, this is the podcast where we talk about uh, comic books, movies, all things geek and nerd. Um, so our first episode, we're getting into a couple news items up the front. Then we're going to get into our uh, segment called Off the Page, where we talk about adaptations of comic books to film, TV and movie, doesn't matter what kind of film. Um, and then at the end, we do a top five segment. So we're really excited about this podcast. You guys want to add anything? Literally so happy to be here. <laughs> we're waiting for this for a long time. It's a long time coming. Uh, it's going to be great. <laughs> All right. Ringing endorsements from both of you. All right. Welcome <laughs> to the episode. I hope you guys enjoy. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. I'm right. ready. Cool. Okay, we're recording whenever you get Sweet. All right, well, guys, let's get started with some news, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds good. Um, we had some more details released on the new Green Lantern Earth One. Cam, are you pretty excited about this? Uh, yeah, just found out like five minutes ago this is happening. Um, I can, I'm definitely really excited because what they've done with the Earth One universe like so far has been really awesome. I can de- one of my favorites that I'm really excited for Volume Three to come out is uh, Jeff Johnson, Gary Frank's Batman Earth One. That uh, that honestly book is so good. And even one of my favorite panels is with Killer Croc on the Batman run. Super good. And uh, two years ago, they announced Wonder Woman Earth One by Grant Morrison. I haven't read it, but I can definitely vouch for it. I've heard it is so good, and especially with all the Wonder Woman news that's been coming up, it is. Or it, it's even it's an even bigger deal now. So the fact that they got Green Lantern on this is awesome. Yeah, we got uh, some more news from BoundingtonComics.com. BoundingIntoComics.com. Um, the graphic novels uh, in the DC Comics Earth One line, Green Lantern Earth One, is going to be written by Karina Becco and Gabriel Hardman. Uh, they said the book will see Hal Jordan revamped as a scientist and astronaut who finds a power ring and sets off to restore the Green Lantern Corps, which were long ago extinguished by the Manhunters. Sounds pretty cool. Dang, that almost has like a Fantastic Four kind of vibe to it. A little bit, huh? Yeah, it's like Journey into Space. Like, yeah. well, and I, it's interesting because you see, um, especially this is movie, on the movie side, you see the success of things like Guardians of the Galaxy, you wonder mm. if DC's trying to push more of that mm, kind yeah. of space travel stuff. Yeah, for sure. To try to tap into that. But, I mean, again, the, one of the criticisms of the DC side is it's often darker, so I wonder if they're yeah. going to add some levity to that. Who knows? And honestly, it's always a big, hard sell on the Cosmic-y, Cosmic-y books. I think that's why Doctor Strange was such kind of a surprise success. Uh, and that's and that's kind of where Fantastic Four, the the Josh Trank version, kind of fell short, is because they they pushed too hard on interdimensional kind of stuff, and so uh, it's really. Co- and the third act was awful. Like I I, I was <laughs> looking at one of my favorite podcasts, and they were, they said they walked out, and I was like, oh my god. Well, Brandon and I saw it together, and we kind of looked over at each other as soon as like it seemed like it was ending. We just kind of looked at each other like, that's it. I was like, <laughs> that was, yeah. <laughs> Like Miles Teller, I'm a huge fan of too. I know, so me I'm too. really like and, and then they, Michael B. Jordan. And Kate Mar- like Lee yeah, Cast right. was on point and 
Uh, yeah. It's sad. That, that happened. Yeah. R.I.P. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for people that, that don't wait, know, one, one, sorry, one quick. That was actually bleeding cool, not bounding in the comics. Oh, got it. Sorry. We just want to make sure we yeah, attribute it right. Source. So, bleeding cool was the the source for the Green Lantern stuff. Uh, but for people that don't know, what's the premise of the of Earth One storylines? Um, very similar to the Ultimate Marvel Universe. Uh, it's it's a revamp, a more modern take, and they change several aspects uh, of the characters. And they're not fundamental aspects, but you find them to be uh, bigger, more interesting storytelling points. Like from the Batman one. It starts off, and one of the biggest points that Jeff Johns and Gary Frank uh, make is that his cowl, uh, it, it, it's his eyes are wider, and they show his eyes so you can see more emotion, which is really interesting, because usually with Batman, you just get the, the, the white triangles, and they really go out of their way not to do that. Uh, another example is, this is where the first time, I think, you see Alfred, not as the butler, he was a personal security guard for the Waynes, and that's the man who ends up raising Bruce. And so he's way more of a brute, which is pretty, pretty interesting. You see a yeah. lot more interesting storytellings. Uh, Killer Croc, in one of his moments, becomes... Uh, he's literally an urban myth who's afraid of Batman. He's like, I just want people to leave me alone. Like, mm. I'm just... I'm doing my own thing. And so uh, there's also a great, great panel where Commissioner Gordon... Like, Batman's terrible at his job, unlike the Frank Miller year one Batman, where he's, he's just in the midst of it and has it all figured out. Batman's stumbling, and there's a great panel where Commissioner Gordon says, uh, uh, you're stepping on evidence. <laughs> and, and, and then Batman's like, uh, sorry. And then Commissioner Gordon says, you're not much of a detective, are you? And so... Wait, so you said it doesn't change a fundamental aspect, but isn't one of the original fundamental aspects is he's the greatest detective in the world? Yeah. Well, I said... It, it doesn't change, like, super fundamental. Like, Alfred being the butler then to a bodyguard makes right. sense. But um, then you, you find out later that they do become more fundamental. Because it, it, you're it. right. He, he, Batman, way more along the lines, like, stumbles upon uh, his cases than he does, like, research and detect them. So he's less of a Sherlock Holmes type in this one. Yeah. He'll yeah. become a better detective, mm-hmm. but he's not starting out that way. It's, it's a journey. Yeah. Okay. And it, okay. Yeah. It's really good. And then Wonder Woman, I, I honestly couldn't even tell you the Grant Morrison changes, but Grant Morrison is, is wild. So. Well, the other thing I'm noticing here on, this, on the article from the, for the Green Lantern Earth one is that it seems like there's going to be a little bit more interaction with the Manhunters. So I wonder if Martian Manhunter will become a bigger... Manhunters are a little different okay. than Martian Manhunter. Uh, he's from Mars, but uh, as far as I can recall, because I haven't read the Jeff Johns run, and mm-hmm. they're... His run on Green Lantern really uh, sealed him as one of the best best writers DC has. Uh, the Manhunters are like they have like white faces and red like bodies. They're okay. kind of weird looking, and I really have not read too much Green Lantern. Okay. So Martian Manhunters. I'm, sorry for all different. of you who are screaming into the your phone or whatever. <laughs> Brandon and I are less well versed on comics than Cameron. Oh, uh, so. we're not human encyclopedias. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They also have girlfriends, so. <laughs> wives. Uh, we wives. actually have wives. <laughs> we have wives. Yeah. Case in point. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to talk about Green Arrow, how it's All right. Well, moving on. Uh, we had an announcement this week that David Tennant is going to appear in season two of Jessica Jones. I'm actually really excited about this. I love yeah. David Tennant as an actor. Um, his Doctor Who was amazing. Um, and going a little on the nerdier, my uh, era of nerdy, area of nerdy, he was a great Hamlet. Um, so I'm excited about this. Yes. Uh, and his character in the first episode of Jessica Jones, 
Like every time I was watching it and he was in the scene or in the in the episode, I was just like my, I had anxiety because you oh, knew yeah. like what he would do is just so just so messed up. Especially with like the, that um, the the amazing part with that season was uh, it was like episode four, or like mid season, where she captures him, puts him in the cage, and you really start to feel bad for him, which is a tone with a villain that I think is so unique. Yeah. In that show, but also in the comic book culture, where it's like, oh my gosh, she's treating this dude like an animal, right. and it is in response to how obviously everything they went right. through. But it was just that—that's how well he did, and that's yeah. how well he sold the character. Yeah. And I'm trying to think; it's been a while since I've watched it, but did they—they they did some backstory on him that I felt like humanized him a little bit more until 100%. until the end of the twist, where it, I don't know. It's really tough to get a read on his character because really? he can manipulate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like you—you you do and feel sympathy, but then like, did he just make all that up? Hundred percent. So I'm excited about that, and I'm really yeah. not even well versed on the Purple Man, who is just who he was. Right, so. I'm not either. I like I. This is the one. Um, well, the, we'll talk about this a little bit later. But the the whole Defenders run where we're leading up to it, like, have been great. But this is the one that was just. I thought it was just excellent. Yeah, the yeah. Jessica Jones because of, of its. It didn't fall into the traditional like superhero um, trope a yeah. lot of the ways. Like it. You know, obviously dealt with some pretty tough issues, but it was written like a real TV show. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and yeah. that's what I've liked about the Netflix series is that they're written more as real TV shows, less as like each episode. And and I mean, you go back to like the original Batman in the '60s, yeah. which was great, but yeah. like it was a s- different type. You know right. what I mean? It's like a, it's a single episode. It's just like a madcap. It's just a it's just a fun romp. And mm-hmm. then, but then you have the Netflix ones that are a little bit different. So yeah, I've enjoyed it. I'm curious what capacity is going to be in it, though. I mean, if he's going to be it for the whole run, is yeah. he just like this kind of flashback, like dark figure That's for Jessica Jones? Like, yeah, I, I'm curious what capacity. Yeah, because it does say here. I'm just reading it. And we were talking about this right before we started recording that. He was, um, she did kill him at the end. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder what will happen. If it'll be in flashbacks or if it'll be, if as as it is with all comic books, he's not dead because they're never dead. Yeah. Right, honestly. (laughs) Well, yes and no, because you mean with, uh, what you're saying about that that show I think is so accurate too and the fact that it's not your normal superhero show. It's really uh, on the more side of hard-boiled detective. Right. And uh, the whole alias investigations thing, it's Mm -hmm. really cool that they've done with her. Um, And and Purple Man was actually a character who who gained way more credibility as he moved on because he was, uh, I think, issue... Within the first five issues of Daredevil was his first appearance. And... uh, uh, Brian Michael Bendis, like he does with all of the all the characters he touches, honestly, with Ultimate Spider-Man, Spider-Woman, um, he did that with Jessica Jones and the Purple Man. He really gave them a redeeming quality of their character and what he's done with, with Purple Man and her is insane. And so it's so cool to see them using his material. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, the next tidbit is uh, Sony gave us a release date for the Spider-Man spinoff, Silver and Black. Um, the story will star Spider-Man characters, Silver Sable and Black Cat. Uh, it will be directed by Gina Prince-Bythewood. Is that right? Yeah. It joins uh, Sony's Venom, starring Tom Hardy, which will be released just four months earlier in October 2018. So it's like a busy quarter there for Sony. I didn't know Venom Hardy, Tom Hardy was starting in Venom. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. That's, That's like amazing. within the last two months. Oh, such yeah. a good move, but it really bums me out, too, because Hugh Jackman said if he could have any successor for Wolverine, it would be Tom, Tom Hardy. Hardy. Mm. But, that actually would have made a lot of sense, too. Yeah, seriously. And so it's, um, it's a win, you know what I mean, yeah. no matter what. 
the whole Sony thing, I, it gets me nervous too because I think DC had this problem and even I think Marvel stumbled into it a couple times. Uh, they get over ambitious with their uh, titles that come out and I mean, if the first one flops, then the second one, and, and luckily for DC, Wonder Woman really came through with uh, yeah. the response that it had to Batman v Superman and Suicide Squad. Wonder Woman really just delivered in all areas it needed to. But with Sony, they've, they've run into that problem before where they set up for Sinister Six and, and Spider- Amazing Spider-Man 2, and they put a lot of eggs in yep. that basket, and it fell short, which is... Yeah. It just gets me nervous as a fan because my hopes get up, get really high, and then they sell the character to uh, to Marvel Studios. But you know, right? right. Uh, what I mean, I don't know much about these two characters, um, but what I am excited about, I mean, again, I, I see what you're saying with the nervousness. But what I am excited about is with the success of Wonder Woman, um, that it seems that, and, and there's been a bigger trend in this in comic books for a couple mm-hmm. of years, few years. But it seems like we're pushing more towards like either uh, all female like uh, leads and production yeah. team because it says it's yeah it's a, it's going to be directed by uh, a woman too and so I'm excited about uh, allowing other voices to take over 100%. some of these Marvel movies and Marvel properties in on different levels like whether it's TV or, or big screen or whatever or even in the books yeah um, I'm just I'm excited for that because it's been such a, a boys club for so long seriously seriously um, I mean again we're sitting at a table with three guys talking about comics, but it's, it's, I'm excited to see what we can get from these types of stories. And with the success of all the other mm-hmm. TV shows, it seems like you can do more of this, even if they don't, even if yeah. it doesn't do as yeah. well. If it's a TV, it's a TV show? No, it's a film. It's a film, yeah. Oh, okay. It seems like maybe they should consider pushing more towards, not this, whatever about Silver and Black and, and Venom, but like it seems like even Sony could possibly take some of these to, the TV, to TV and it might... Su- succeed as well. So. 100%. And you're seeing that with X-Men too yeah. all over the place with, uh, what, what is it, Gifted? Gifted and, and Legion. Legion. And in, well, Inhumans is not X-Men. but Yeah, but still, like, uh, and I think, I think I totally agree with you on the point where you're having new voices uh, direct and, and produce these stories uh, because you have Black Panther which right. is coming up and there's an African-American director for that. Which I'm really excited and, about. Yeah, re- and that movie, oh my gosh, so good. Looks so good. Every PS, I feel like Marvel just has a contract with Run the Jewels because <laughs> in Luke Cage, Iron Fist, yeah. and now Black Panther, all of their songs have been used in the trailers, which I'm like, awesome, because I love Run the Jewels. But anyways, uh, you're seeing um, a shift, and in, in even in the writing, too, you're letting African-American writers write mm-hmm. for African-American heroes. And you're seeing, um, with the exception of Brian Michael Bendis and Miles Morales, pick up that book, it's so good. But... Uh, you're seeing Patty Jenkins direct Wonder Woman and right. all of these. You're giving the credibility uh, and the the voice to those who usually have not had it, which right. is super cool. Which is funny, and we'll probably talk about this on other episodes. Um, and Cameron, I know you and I have talked about mm-hmm. this before in the past, but about how comics pretty quickly became a place for that, for yeah. voices to come through. And especially if you want to look at the historically, especially in the sort of the reboot of the X-Men, 100%. the second original, like the original team and then the second team where you have people like Storm and Colossus yeah. and Wolverine and all those guys that are all like international and people of color and women and men and all, like all the different sort of yeah. variations you can have. Yeah. Um, so we see that and that's, uh, comic books have become that way. Um, and there's obviously this tension between the reading audience and the people who produce them, which again we'll get into in future episodes, yeah. but... 
I'm excited that the the sort of the, the Hollywood versions of these are starting to embrace that history. Mm-hmm. And especially with two... I love the fact that we're getting a silver and black, a, a silver sable and black cat, which is we, are, we also have to pay attention to the comic book uh, platinum age we are living in where right. we never thought we'd see these characters mm-hmm. in, in film at all. Right. Yeah. I mean, nobody was really asking for this, right? Like it, aside from I, camera. Right. <laughs> well, no, it's not. No, I would say that these are probably not ones that people are like aware of or like, you know, saying like, oh, we need this one, but... I'm glad that the studio... I mean, again, whatever reservations we have about Sony, I'm glad that they're willing to take the risk. Oh, right. for sure. It's, yeah. They only have so many characters that Sony themselves can pull from. Mm-hmm. Right. Because they, so, so they only have so many properties. All, right. all the Spider-Man characters. They have the Spider-Man and then the X-Men, right? No, that's Fox. That's Fox, that's yeah. Fox. Um, but the cool part about Sony is that... Um, was it with these, with these characters? It's like, it get, now... Because this is the thing, too. The Guardians of the Galaxy movie that we saw... Um, that team was created in Annihilation Conquest in 2008. Like right. the Groot, Rocket Raccoon, Star-Lord, Gamora team that we saw in that movie, um, all of those were started in 2008. And even Miles Morales, who had a callback in Spider-Man Homecoming, he started in 2008. So these are characters that yeah. we didn't even know we'd like. And right. now we're seeing them. And, and like, how many people did, went up to you guys or told you, oh, I knew nothing about Wonder Woman until that movie, right. but now I'm hearing people say, oh, she's my person. And right. I'm, like, yeah. I'm like, ooh. Yeah, that's so a good point. It's, it's, it's cool to see yeah. these voices being shared. And now, like, it's also letting, letting people, audience members who have no idea about comics, into right. our world and why we find these characters so special. Mm-hmm. Like, Harley Quinn last year was the number one Halloween costume. Right. Of any, which is just like, oh my gosh. Right. right. I mean, that's, again, there's, there's a broader certainly a broader trend in the last decade of nerd and geek culture becoming yeah. certainly more popular where it's almost to the point where it's become po- the popular culture. I mean, no, it's always been pop culture, but it's now like the dominant pop culture yeah. comic books and, and um, you know, even with the revival of things like star Wars and all these other, and the star Trek movies and all that, where we're seeing some ones that our parents back in the day, if you liked them, you were sort of on the fringe <laughs> and now it's almost the opposite, where if you don't like them, mm-hmm. you're kind of on the fringe. Right? Seriously. Seriously. Um, but, I mean, even that the idea of the minor character, the, the slightly less well-known character, has been sort of the foundation of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because it, it really launched with Iron Man. Yeah. And yeah. it's not that Iron Man wasn't a... He was more of a second... I would say probably a second <laughs> yeah. tier of the yeah. Marvel Universe. I mean, I always loved Iron Man, but but even that like and and that was obviously on the power of Robert Downey Jr's performance oh, for but sure. but this idea that he, that it kind of kicked off with that so I'm glad that that's kind of that's been the the trend and I hopefully it continues to be the trend going yeah, forward cuz nobody was comparing I or at least I don't recall I was in 8th grade when that first movie came out but I, d- I never recall anyone... <laughs> I had, was a year out of college by the time <laughs> <laughs> that movie came out so that but, tells you that but I would never, I don't ever remember hearing conversations comparing Iron Man to Batman before right. that movie came out. And so obviously you're totally right in all yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that's it for news. So let's, uh, I want to move on to this week's edition of Off the Page. Brank here from Super BS. Talking about the things you know you love and the things you'd love to know. Join us weekly for a podcast about video games. Mostly. Oh, yeah. 
All right, welcome back. We uh, are going to start our segment off the page. Um, since this is our first one, we'll just give you a little bit of what we're going to be doing with this each uh, episode. Um, every episode, we're going to take an upcoming or a just-released uh, you know, film or TV version of a comic book, and we're going to talk about how it was adapted and what we thought about its sort of the film or the TV show or whatever. Um, so we're just going to do that each time. We're going to take one that either just came out or is coming out soon. This week we're going to start, our first one will be about The Defenders, and that's coming out this Friday. Um, the Defenders is the Netflix sort of culmination of the, the four individual heroes, and that's Daredevil, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, and Iron Fist. So it's, if you will, it's like the Netflix version of Avengers. Um, mm-hmm. And that's coming out this Friday. Uh, and so... I think all of us have been watching, keeping track of those. We've been watching the uh, the Netflix shows. We've enjoyed them, but we just have a, we just kind of want to talk about um, each one of the either that we'll talk about the the past seasons and what we are anticipating, what we're looking forward to for uh, the um, the upcoming series. So I think we'll start with uh, let's each go around and just say what was our of the Defenders leading up series uh, seasons. What was our favorite superhero or what was our favorite season? We'll talk about that. We'll do it that way. hundred percent, uh, Luke Cage. Okay, uh, just like awesome. The it had something that no other superhero show movie had like had before. Yeah. It was that, and it was that like soulful side of things. It was like all those scenes in the nightclub, like the music scenes Ooh. that they had, were just amazing. They were, and it set the tone for the entire episode or show. I love Luke Cage so much. Jessica Jones close second because that first episode in the elevator still like so it gave me chills like it was crazy um Cameron, my, you go next. oh sorry my second or my favorite was specifically daredevil season two um i'm a huge huge batman fan and so obviously reading dark knight returns uh frank miller and klaus jansen classic one of the best comic book writing teams of all time uh, they they got offered that book because of the work they'd done on Daredevil. And I knew uh, Daredevil was going to be based on, the Netflix show was going to be based on Man Without Fear. So I picked that up. Frank Miller, John Romita Jr. book was amazing. And it, it it's panel for panel inspired by uh, that, straight up the costume. That his, his first season costume was the Man Without Fear costume. Uh, but then also season two of Daredevil was probably one of my favorite runs ever because it has callbacks to Elektra and Punisher, which is the whole original run of Frank Miller's Daredevil, which is one of my favorite comic series of all time ever. So, and that's, that means a lot to me to say. So, <laughs> yeah. um, I would say, I don't know, it's a hard. So, I'm gonna, I'll say Jessica Jones because I really did enjoy Jessica Jones. I thought it was brilliantly written, brilliantly acted. Um, as I said uh, before, with David Tennant as Kilgrave, Mr. Purple, but also um, Kristen Ritter, just. Oh, just killed it as Jessica Jones. Um, I will say the other one that I did enjoy. So the the storyline, the the acting, the just the even the cinematography, the coloring of it just made the whole um, the whole season brilliant. And that ending, that end game where they're like in that I don't know what they call it, but that the essentially room with the glass and they're like yeah. and the parents come in. And right. Just yeah. that whole is just was so tense. I was just it, it gave me heart palpitations the whole time through. I was just like. Ah, it's so so much. Um, I will say just a shout out to um, 
Daredevil season one as setting the tone for the Netflix 100%. runs. Like if it weren't for Daredevil, yeah. if it wasn't as good as it was, which I'm not saying it's the best of all the seasons or whatever, but if it wasn't, if it weren't as good as it was, this the rest of it wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. Sure, right? Daredevil, like Daredevil, set the tone for what Netflix could do with the Marvel characters, and I thought it just the visceral nature yeah. of that, like even the fight scenes, and even just the the way that they mind sort of what would be the psychological side of all of these characters, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So Daredevil, um, Matthew Murdock sort of struggle to be a lawyer, to keep friends, like yeah. to date, like all that sort of stuff, and then it carries through through the rest of them. Um, and really that's been, I think, the common thread that I've enjoyed in the Netflix series. Yeah, and let's just get this out there. Iron Fist didn't suck. Yeah, that's yeah Thank for sure. You. No, it's, we're all I mean, it was my least. That. I would say it's my least favorite of the four. Yeah, but I'm. It did. It wasn't bad. Right. It was still great. I think it got way too much flack. Right. I. The reason I thought it, part of it was, and you can talk about this yeah. in terms of Cameron. You can talk about this in terms of like the Arrowverse on the CW. Yeah. But it, it reminded me a lot of the the first initial season of Arrow with yeah. Oliver Queen coming back, and like mm-hmm. suddenly he's a expert archer and all that. And same same thing with. Um, Danny Rand where he's just like he comes back and he's been missing and they think he's mm-hmm. dead and all that and right. I, I just were some very similar plot lines yeah I mean they're comic books so yeah they're similar plot lines but that's the only reason why I thought it, it's my right. least favorite he just said save this city like 10,000 less times in <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> otherwise yeah. same show it was it was more just like get my parents company back <laughs> yeah. like, that's, what, that's what Danny Rand was this interested city. in city oh my gosh that's uh, so funny <laughs> but yeah but I mean so it was I mean and again whatever the controversy of having you know you know, Asian cultural appropriation or anything like that. Like we can talk through that, but and and the other criticism that I thought was weird was the fight scenes uh, in oh, Iron Fist, the fight scenes. which I did, yeah, because yeah, they were just different. They're yeah. more fluid. They're a little bit more elegant than Daredevil punching his way through. Oh yeah, <laughs> Hell's Kitchen. What is it? Oh man, the stair sequences in Daredevil are just yeah. ridiculous. But I like just... the drunk. But see, the, one of my favorite fight scenes in the whole all four was the drunken master fight in yeah, Iron yeah, Fist. Yeah. Was just. I thought it was brilliant. Hundred so. percent. Yeah. Um, or the the, really, the Punisher jail fight. Oh <laughs> my gosh! You have, have you seen that yet? Gruesome. No. Oh, I don't think I've seen the jail. Oh, fight. oh, oh dude, that was season so two gnarly. of Daredevil is amazing. No, I haven't finished it yet. I for me, that literally, was, out of oh. any of those shows, that is the peak. But also just because it's it's Frank Miller. And can we just before we get into the Defenders, we're all super excited for the Punisher series with John oh, Bernthal, my right? Gosh. Yeah. Okay. Good. Blessings. All right. 100%. Um, well, for, for, for Iron Fist, foundationally, I think that show is kind of set up at a loss because, because of the race right. issues. And uh, Josh, our sound guy, has just done uh, – he, he read The Immortal Iron Fist Run and, by Ed Brubaker. And uh, I haven't read it yet, but he says it's, – it's interesting because so many people – and I'm all for diversity in, in the universes. Like, like Zendaya becoming Mary Jane Watson – I, I had a narrative in my in my head back and forth, and I ended up being for it because I think that's just so cool. Uh, but the whole theme of Iron Fist that Josh says is the white man trying to insert himself into the yellow narrative and being cast as an outsider, which is a unique plot point. Right. And so when fans are getting all upset and uh, because they didn't use this opportunity to cast a, 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 an Asian actor, it's like, come on. You know, well, and I thought that it was interesting that I don't know if this is in the original run of like a, of the setup of the character, but there was some underlying, um, not subtle, but under like a, an undertone of the fact that Danny Rand came into this monastery and stole the yeah. Iron Fist from mm-hmm. what could have been the rightful, mm-hmm. you know, whoever heir to it, whatever it was. Like, yeah, yeah. So like 
he was an outsider who came in and kind of stole that from this culture and then left. I mean, this was really the under, this was one of the major themes is like he left Kung Lao. Kung Lun. Kung Lun. Sorry. Um, that's, I was playing, I was, no, I was playing Mortal Kombat. I was, <laughs> I was playing Mortal Kombat and it's, uh, one of the characters is, I think, something like that. Yeah, Kung Lao. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he, he left to go back and like basically, as we talked about, try to get his parents' company back. And it's like, dude, you were supposed to defend this place. Like, right, this right. is a really important place in our world. And you just left because you were some, you know, essentially spoiled rich kid. Yeah. And like, thought you could. So it's like, come on, man. Yeah, like, be cool. So I think there was some of that addressed in the series. Um, but I guess going back to the Iron Fist dare, or Arrow comparison, yeah. And I'd even I'd even point back to you, Keith, because the whole narrative of uh, a, a hero going off on his quest to discover yeah. who he is and then coming back home to realize it's not it's not wh- how he left it. That's that's the Odyssey. And well, yeah. I mean, this is for sure. I mean, this is why when we think about plots in iron in comics, you can't get too upset if they repeat because essentially they are all. And this is going to be Keith nerding out for a minute. Yeah. They're all archetypes. They're all um, heroes quest archetypes. It's about it's about uh, someone like you said going out. Uh, they're on a quest. They have a helper. They mm-hmm. have yeah. an obstacle. They, I mean, it's very very standard storytelling. Yeah. The point, I, I, from what I've always felt with comics, is less about the the originality of the storyline, the plot, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. more about the characters themselves. Because yeah. the characters are unique, right? There How aren't. They're, you know, you look through history, yeah, you have the old, like, demigods and all the... Yeah, the of but none of them could, like, shoot lasers out of their eyes. <laughs> so it's like... So th- there are some unique features that they're trying to explore, and, like, what would this be to be a human who does have the immortal Iron Fist yeah. and has to deal with that responsibility? Or, I mean, going back to very the, the classic Spider-Man line, with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. So how do you deal with that? You are literally, again, not to go on this but you were literally a superman right? yeah 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 so like what do you do with that and i think that's the that's what it's less the plot i will just say that i mean what i said that was just why it was the least of the yeah, four series yeah. but i i mean all of them all of them have elements of that idea of, of the overcoming the obstacle and 100%. trying to become the the, the hero so. and yeah but going back to the arrow uh my, you know, the the only objection I really have to the Netflix, and I'll probably get chewed out for this series, is is uh, that I think they take too long to get to the point. They're thirteen mm-hmm. episode seasons, and yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm a major fan of like make it nine episodes. Yeah, they could all be ten, and they, they for sure. Yeah, but because they take so long, and 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 a lot of people object to the CW Arrow shows because of this factor, but um. I love that they do those filler episodes where they fight King Shark and it takes them longer to right. get to the, yeah. you mean the end game of, you mean uh, flash and Savitar and, and arrow and Prometheus. Right, um, right. But half the fun of those series in, in, in themselves is the fact that, Oh my gosh, arrow just, just, just met the, the, the dark archer Merlin or right. him and Huntress just had a thing. And, right. For me, just to see those characters come to life is half the fun, right. and you you almost sacrifice that on the Netflix shows, which is pursuing the one purple man or or the right. one. Yeah. Well, and they're much more. I, I would say the the 
Netflix ones are much more traditional, like cinematic storylines. Yeah. Whereas yeah. the Arrowverse is much more TV driven, like that yeah. old Batman. Like, one hundred percent. It's it's the or what the, the the it's like the bad guy of the week or the monster of the week. Like yeah. it's more of that, where like you can have one off episodes and it doesn't hurt the overall storyline. Mm-hmm. But when you have, like, they don't know if they were going to do, or uh, a second Daredevil or whatever, or if you're building up to the Defenders, then you, yeah, I agree with you, though, like, 13 episodes is too long. Just make it 10, get the story out, and then set up the next thing. Yeah, Yeah. and and if if they didn't have those fillers, then it's just... Which which fast guy is Flash fighting today? Right, right it's like honestly. every season is by just... the grace of God. That's not going to be the case with the new season. Right, yeah, so. and uh, and well, so kind of leading up to I'm I have my concerns about the Defenders, right? Because I mean these big casts, these amazing casts, kind of yeah. coming and sharing mm-hmm. one space makes me a little nervous. I mean, we saw how Suicide Squad turned out. Oh my God. And I know that this is different because they all kind of have their own separate introductions and you right. can kind of hit the ground running, but it still makes me nervous about all of these separate like storylines kind of leading to one place. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get what you're saying because the one thing I will say about the Netflix films is like the, the bad guys, with the exception of Jessica Jones, mm-hmm. have been very ambiguous, right? So I, I, I imagine that this, because this has been the through line through all of them, is like, is the hand in that whatever they're doing yeah. like in New York. Um, but as long, for me, what I've enjoyed is because this is the problem that's plaguing the Marvel movies. It's going to come up mm-hmm. so, as soon as like, once you're done with Thanos, who's next, right? Oh my god! So it's like keep yeah. keeping it small and keeping it character-driven in the Netflix shows. I think if they can do that, because each of the characters have shown up in at least one other series, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the helpful thing, where now we can say, oh, now that they're sort of fully meeting, you still have the same individual issues, and as long as you can deal with those, because then it's really just a four-lead, it's a four-lead series instead of a maybe a two-lead series, which they've been in the past, right? Right. The only the unfortunate thing is that I'll be more upset at is if they don't do well, don't serve the other minor characters like Foggy, like um, Night Nurse. That's a concern, right? It's right. Like, yeah, they're yeah, gonna sprinkle like, all those. Those are gonna still. those are gonna be gone, and it's just gonna be on the main four, um, which I would only be okay with if the main four is just the Defenders, and then they continue exploring those other relationships in the other series. Um, but I am excited. As I'm excited for. The defenders to, um, because I think I, I want to see how they all interact, right? It's almost like right. a, I, it's going to seem like a weird comparison, but it's almost going to be like a a dark superhero like version of Friends. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like where where they're like <laughs> good, no, you're right. Like where like they're they're all contemporaries. They're all because the weird thing about the Avengers is like you kind of have to throw these these big hitters in, and it's weird. But like with these, they they kind of, and this is in the trailer, like they kind of need each other to help each other because in every single one of these instances, you've seen each one of them get overwhelmed, right? Whereas like, yeah, you kind of saw Iron Man get overwhelmed for half a second, Captain America, Thor, Hulk. But like when they came together, they kind of, when they fought together, it wasn't as much a collaboration. It's like, everybody, you go there, you go there, you go there, where it's like in the fight scene that you see in the trailer for the Defenders, you know, Luke Cage has to protect, you know, like Luke Cage is, is in the forefront. Jessica Jones is throwing people around. Daredevil has to like mm-hmm. kind of keep himself in, oriented to the fight. And, you know, it's like, and then Iron Fist can't just run off and do whatever he wants. Like they have to learn to fight together because they aren't, they're more human heroes. 100%. And the, the budget 
makes them a little more human, yeah, too. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah. Um, Cameron, yeah. what are you excited for with the Defenders? Uh, number one, like, just, it's, it's always cool to see your heroes team up. And uh, I really love the universe that they've set up, and I love the hand. Actually, one of the biggest points I'm really most excited for is, is what you're saying to, uh, about the minor characters teaming up, because how cool is it? Because it's all about the resurrection of Electra too. Um, how cool is it going to be to see um, Jessica Jones talk to Electra and fight the hand mm-hmm. when yeah. she she's so powerful? And then you have uh, Luke Cage who's coming in to a ninja movie where he's like, <laughs> I don't even what am I going to do with myself? You know? Uh, and the Iron Fist thing with the hand has been set up really nicely too. Right. So it's going to be see him. It's going to be really cool to see Finn Jones get really personal right. with who he's fighting. Yeah. Uh, so. That's that's probably one of the big ones, uh, but even with the defenders, I think it's re- it's gonna be really interesting too to see this take because I was looking it up earlier, and the original defenders team is Hulk, Doctor Strange, Namor, and Silver Surfer. Yeah, and yeah. that's Roy Thomas in 1971. So it's gonna be really crazy to see this new team because I the only comic iteration I've seen them in is the one that they've made recently to complement the TV show. Right. Those are two like very different specialties for those groups. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, and I'm actually I, the one thing I've appreciated with the Netflix films, uh, the Netflix series, is that they are still connected to the cinematic universe, and mm-hmm. you see the aftermath 100%. of the Avengers. Yes. So, like, you see what's happened when you introduce those big picture thing elements into the little picture of like Harlem, Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. Manhattan, like all like, you know, yeah. downtown Manhattan, all that. Like you see the different, what's, what's going to happen. And so the fact that they're really, they're not interested in the cosmic. They're not interested in the global. They're not, they're interested in, let's save. we literally have to save New York, not humanity. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that's what keeps, as long as they can kind of do that and keep it grounded to that, I think it'll serve the, the team well. Yeah. Also a major, a major one that you just got me thinking about with the, with the side characters being introduced is uh, we're gonna see Misty Knight, and uh, mm. I'm forgetting Iron Fist's girlfriend. It's it's they're it's, gonna be um, the, 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 the the daughters of the dragon. Da- daughter of the dragon. Yeah. Yeah. Both of them because you I mean you have the heroes for hire, but then also they're uh, Colleen Wing. Colleen Wing. Thank yeah. you so much. You're gonna see them interact, and at the end of Luke Cage, you see Misty Knight go and and she sees a flyer for Colleen Wing right. karate training, and yeah. so. Obviously, then we see that theme echoed in Iron Fist, and so to see those two interact, and you know, we mean context, contextually wise as a fan, going in to see that, that is going to be so cool to well, see them interact. And also, uh, I want to say Night Nurse, is that her name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's been in all of them too, like Claire, so Claire, 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 Rosario Claire. Well, Dawson. that's her. Yeah. Rosario Dawson's character, like, has been through, so that's interesting to see how they're all going to interact. So. Yeah, I'm. I mean, obviously, I'm excited for all those things and all these storylines coming together. But I'm really excited to see Sigourney Weaver as the villain. Like, really, that's yeah, gonna yeah. Be, that's going to take me back, right? To like alien <laughs> stuff. Like, I'm really excited to, to see <laughs> how badass she is. Yeah, she's she's such a cool pick too. Like, she's a strong, strong woman. You know I mean villain, which is obvious. Like, even thinking now, that's not something yeah. we see. And I'm glad that they're using her in a. TV in the small screen versions because yeah. like they've had a lot and it's great like Kate, like Kate Blanchett and a lot of other really great female actors have come into the Marvel Cinematic Universe 100%. so I'm glad they're going to use like a pretty heavy hitter in the in the smaller screens to try to reach more audiences and, and all that awesome. so this Friday yeah Friday so yeah. we'll probably at some point in a future episode at least talk about 
what we thought about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll give yeah. you a week or two before we yeah. spoil it all. Right. All right. So that was uh, off the page. Up next, we're going to be coming into our top five segment. everyone venture into the pop culture cosmos today where you'll hear our conversations on different topics within the world of movies tv video games comic books technology board gaming and more you'll also get a taste of some of our other shows within the cosmos as well so come on and join us each week as we delve into the pop culture cosmos welcome to the pop culture cosmos All right, so we'll kind of close things out with a little bit of discussion and opinions. Uh, so this week we're going to do our top, my top five superhero shows. And uh, basically I'm just going to give my opinions and watch Cameron get triggered on the other side <laughs> of the table. So let's get started with my number five, which is Gotham. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> God awful. You, are we waiting for you to finish before Cam no, jumps in? No, no, yeah. Go ahead, chime in on you think I, Gotham should be higher or lower. Cam, you're up. Cam. I haven't um, seen Gotham, so I don't know. I, I, uh, before I even respond, I want to hear why it's your favorite and maybe later object. Uh, honestly, I put it as five because I figured you'd have a big I opinion honestly, about it. Literally, I read a quote, and I think this quote sums up Gotham perfectly. It is, they don't know whether it's the Christopher Nolan Dark Knight universe or the Joel Schumacher Batmans because it is a healthy medium between the two, and they've veered so far off the comics that I just can't even. Okay. All right. All right. Can't even. Uh, number four <laughs> is Young Justice. Oh, oh! I should have put that on my list. <laughs> Great. Oh, season are they, three. Are they coming out with the season three? Yeah, right? yeah. 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 It's going to be Young Justice Outsiders, which is so cool. Is it the best animated series out there? No. What is it? What, what's the best animated series? Superhero? Uh, or? Not, oh, Batman the animated series. Bruce Tim, Paul Dini. It is everything. Is it the best current animated series? Oh, that one, best one coming out right now? Absolutely. I Yes. And the voice actors they have, voice talents, and what they've done with the characters is so amazing. I love that show. Okay, great. Uh, number three for me is The Flash. Great, I love that show. It's like my favorite show to watch weekly, so you're good. Okay. Uh, second is Jessica Jones. Eh. Eh? Jessica Jones is my favorite, but like, I love her. I, like, I, I love what she's done in The Defenders and stuff, but that, that show was... Because the 13 episode seasons and just kind of how long they build up the suspense, it was just like when she like snapped Kilgrave's neck, I literally said like, thank God, like this is over. <laughs> you know, I had to convince myself to last the watch or <laughs> watch the last 30 minutes of that show because I just couldn't, I was like, I'm over this. Yeah. It's, it's, it's about the complete opposite you could be of The Flash, which is like the 100%. most upbeat like, show that I watch probably I and then going the to... Uh, you know, killing your family in an elevator. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then number one we touched about is Luke Cage for me. Oh, yeah. That's my favorite. That one dragged on. And the only objection I have to Luke Cage, and I love this show, I think episode three was probably like the, my favorite episode of that entire Netflix TV series when it ends with Cottonmouth freaking blowing up the restaurant he's in. I just thought that was amazing. Uh, but the fact that they built so far up to Cottonmouth and like this guy's huge, then they kill him off midseason, and they have was who's the final villain that show? Uh, so the Diamondback. S. Diamondback, you're right, you're right. Yeah. Diamondback sneaks in. Oh, we're brothers. I'm like, come on, 
be cool. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah, that plot twist didn't do it for me. Like, yeah. that, I was, yeah. But yeah, never watch Gotham. <laughs> Wait, so, so if you were to give us a top five, what would yours be? Okay. Um, number one. This is, these are TV shows, right? Bruce Tim. Yeah, yeah. Bruce Tim, um, Paul Dini, Batman the Animated Series. I personally like the new adventures of Batman first, where they revamped all the characters for season four. That show is my favorite ever. I think the Batman, Superman, World's Finest team is, or episodes, three episode run, where Lex Luthor and Joker team up and Batman, Superman team up. That is one of the... I, if they did made the Batman v Superman movie off of that, I would have just been perfect. Uh, number two, Flash season one, because I love season one. It's, it's Jeff Johns and, uh, and Ethan Van Skyver's run of Flash Rebirth, which I just... My favorite, favorite, favorite. Every, every week I was waiting for the, the post credit scene where you're just like, who is Harrison Wells? I remember Leave it to Cameron to like go into the season specifics. Oh, I lay out season <laughs> specific. Um, three Daredevil season two because Frank Miller. Um, then fourth, I put Justice League and Avengers, but I'm gonna like cancel that out for Young Justice, <laughs> yes. especially Young Justice season two because yes. so so great. Wally West, R.I.P. Um, and then five, randomly enough, is Spectacular Spider-Man. Because okay. I thought, I think his name's Josh Keaton, who did the voice. I thought he did great. I thought uh, the whole Norman Osborn, Harry Osborn relationship dynamic was amazing on that show. And it was really just like a true Spider Man personality. It was fun. And it ended too soon. So, yeah. That was good. All right. All right. So, that was our top five. Coming up is uh, Cam Reed's Comics. <laughs> This section is called Cameron Reads Comics, and actually it's titled after my hashtag on Instagram. So if you want to check out what I'm up to and what comic-related things I'm doing, uh, open up hashtag Cameron Reads Comics. Uh, this section is some recommended reading for you, maybe based on what we've talked about on the podcast, and really some titles that just get me fired up. So this uh, podcast's recommended reading, or Cameron Reads Comics, is Daredevil by Frank Miller and Klaus Janssen. Uh, they have three. They have an omnibus option, which is the full run, and a complimentary omnibus companion, which is later issues by Frank Miller. Um, that one's really good. That one has Man Without Fear and uh, Daredevil Born Again, which are two great titles. But the original 1980s run that they did is uh, in in the original omnibus, which is I think 125 bucks. Uh, so you you have that one, but specifically they also have the three volume complete collection which is uh, really awesome, specifically from the recommended reading. If you're balling on a budget, read Volume 2, which is uh, where I think Bullseye and Daredevil be, become, Bullseye becomes one of the most deadly, scary, terrifying villains in the Marvel Universe ever. Uh, where he, there's, a, there's an issue where he, right before Daredevil 181, which is my favorite comic of all time, Daredevil and him fight at a carnival and... Bullseye has gone so crazy mentally that he sees every person in the carnival as Daredevil, which leads up tremendously to Daredevil 181, where the entire issue is narrated by Bullseye saying, I'm getting ready for you. I'm going to beat you. I'm going to fight you. And eventually the classic moment where he ends up killing Elektra. So that is all in, I believe, Frank Miller, Klaus Janssen, Daredevil Volume 2. 
check it out and try not to cry. Well, I was excited to read it until you spoiled the ending there for me. That came out in the 80s. Okay, <laughs> watch Ben Affleck's Daredevil and Oh, be it's safe to talk about it now? Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, it's good. That's good. You think uh, Bullseye, or Bullseye would be an awesome villain for the uh, next season, right? They got to do a season three. Uh, well, it's like, yes, I really do. But I think they kind of ruined it in season two because they made, I think it was, it was the hand who ended up killing Electra. But for me, the panel is, uh, the, the, the most crazy one is mm. Bullseye gets like a hold of a cart or something and he, he like throws it at Electra and it hits her in the throat. She can't breathe and he just comes out to her and with her own sigh, um, sigh thank you, right through the gut. And so it, it is so powerful and she crawls over to Matt Murdock's apartment and she's just like, she dies in his arms and it's so sad. And you feel you're so ooh, sorry you're so emotionally connected to the character that it just wounds you deeper. And so they did that on the Daredevil season two, where the hand just kills her, and kind of in the same way. But man, you kind of took that moment away from Daredevil hating Bullseye. I mean, with everything, he ends up breaking all of the bones in his body. Uh, you took that moment away in season two, but honestly, it was worth it because now we're gonna see him fight the hand. So, yeah, thanks. All right, all right, check cool. it out. Check it out, guys. All right, thanks for listening. Well, guys, since we are a new podcast, uh, if you like what you heard, please uh, give us those five-star reviews. We really appreciate it. Uh, look for updates on Humanican Media Facebook, and you can find the podcast and download it on podcast.com or your podcast app. Thanks, guys. We appreciate it. We'll see you on the next episode. See you next time. That uh, to us people that can feel things, it it uh, it hurts.